desire this morning is, is to remedy that. Over the last few weeks, Pastor Sean, he's, he's, uh, he's directed us to the Apostle Paul's teaching. And, on, and we've talked a lot about God's absolute and unrestricted control over all things, including salvation. In this sacred letter, it's, it's given us a systematic approach to, to viewing the doctrine of sanctification off the rug here, right? To the doctrine, or the doctrine of justification. I'm about to mess up here. I don't even know what I'm doing. Justification's over here, right? Sanctification on the rug, glorification's off the rug. And we've, we've learned this. We've learned that the story of redemption is to bring God glory. Secondly, we've learned that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for every people group. It's it's effective for all God's elect. It's a a precious, undeserving gift that reaches all types of people all over the world. We've learned that if left to ourselves, we're, we're sprinting toward hell. We're going in the opposite direction as fast as we can, away from the light and into the darkness that we love and we cherish so much. And we've also learned that God's predestined His elect before the foundation of the world completely based off of His good and sovereign character. There's nothing man can do to to earn salvation, nor does man bring anything to the table apart from his sin. Salvation is a complete gift from the Lord. Therefore, uh, apart from election, apart from predestination, one's left with, with the whole world hating God, going in this direction, sprinting toward hell. But... God intervenes in His loving kindness and His grace and in His mercy. And He gives us a new nature, amen? A nature whose affections are turned toward Christ in worship and all. But what's our responsibility in all of this? The Apostle Paul in Romans 9, he speaks, he speaks strictly of God's sovereignty over all things. And in the next, next chapter, and, and Pastor Sean spent some time on it last week, he, he turns to our responsibility in the midst of, of God's unrestricted sovereignty. Look with me, if you can, in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. That's where we're going to spend the entire morning. The Apostle Paul says, For the Scriptures say, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Will be saved. Then he goes on and he says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And by the way, that's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 52. And what I want to do is, is I want to unpack what Pastor Sean's ended on last week. Okay, Our purpose, our responsibility, our calling. Because it's vitally important for you to understand, and this is key this morning, is that the sovereignty of God does not negate man's responsibility to respond to both the gospel and the Great Commission. I'm going to say that one more time is that the sovereignty of God does not negate man's responsibility to respond to both the gospel and the Great Commission. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, um, this is one of those things that we have to get right, God. 
Because you've placed two callings on our life that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, Lord. And that call, the first call is to, to respond to the gospel. It's to repent and to believe and to trust in you. God, that second call is, is to take that, that precious truth of, of the gospel, God, and to present it to a lost and dying world. And so, God, I pray as, um, God, as we learn more about salvation, as we, we learn more about the person and work of Christ, God, that, that the, the truths that we learn, God, would burn deeply, God, in our hearts and our souls, so much so that we can't keep quiet about it. So be with us over the next few moments. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. During the 8th century B.C., um, there was a prophet by the name of Jonah. Okay, he, was a, he was a Jew who was called to, to bring the gospel to, to a Gentile pagan nation called Nineveh. Okay, they, they were a part of the Assyrian Empire. Listen to this passage with me. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee uh, to Tarshish. And every time I say that, I feel like I have a speech impediment. But it is Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went on board to go away from the presence of the Lord. Now, what we're going to do throughout the course of the sermon this morning is we're going to parallel the, uh, these truths that the Apostle Paul was teaching us about with, this, uh, with the life of Jonah, with Jonah's call, Okay. Why in the world would Jonah flee? We see that God's put a call on his life to, to go and present the gospel to this pagan Gentile land called Nineveh. And, and Jonah responds by fleeing. He, he responds by running away. Why in the world would Jonah do that? It's because there's a, there's a similar tension that, that we've been unpacking throughout the book of Romans and that, that tension there was a tension in, in the Old Testament times, just like there's a, a tension now when the Apostle Paul is, is, is writing this letter to the Roman church. See, J Jonah knew that, that God was extending the saving truth of his word to all people, all people, even the, the scum of the earth, Nineveh, who were Gentiles. Jonah, he therefore, in order to, uh, to escape God in his calling to the Gentiles, he, he fled. He tried to go away from God. He didn't misunderstand what God was calling, calling him to. Look with me in verse 11 of Romans. The Apostle Paul, he strives to correct the thinking of the Jews who, who, who are still thinking that the God, they're looking inwardly when it comes to the gospel. It says, for the scripture says what? Everyone. Some of your translations say whosoever. It says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In the course of this sermon series, we've learned a lot about the importance of context when, uh, when approaching God's word. And many times it's easy for us to pull nuggets uh, from passages without doing the work to understand its meaning. And this passage is, is no exception. Some people use this passage to say, look, everybody is going to be saved. Okay. But we know that isn't true, right? There's a hell and people go to that hell apart from Jesus Christ, right? And so it's not saying that every single person on the face of the planet is going to be saved. Keep looking with me. The, the Apostle Paul uses verses 12 and 13 in order to explain verse 11 a bit better. It says, For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For what? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And by the way, that's quoted from the Old Testament. 
okay? The Apostle Paul is using the Old Testament to prove that the gospel is for all people groups. So this everyone or this, this whosoever, as some of your translations says, it, it, it means the fullness of a group. If you're taking notes, I'd write that down, okay? It does not mean every single person. It means the fullness of a group. So what groups are we talking about? According to the Apostle Paul, there, there are two types of groups. He puts two parameters around, around this group. The first qualification is it's both Jew and Greek. As we stated earlier, it's every, every people group. Not every single person, but every people group. The second parameter is everyone who believes or calls. Okay, believe or calls must, must be attached to it on the name of the Lord. Everyone who believes or calls on the name of the Lord. Who believes or calls on the name of the Lord? We look back to Romans 9. We know that God's elect are the people who believe and call on the name of the Lord. Okay, so that, that's the everyone that the Apostle Paul's talking about. So remember the, the culture of Paul's time and the hostility uh, between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews have always thought that the gospel was strictly for them, okay? They've taken the gospel of Jesus Christ and they've placed themselves at the center of it. When you read your Old Testament, you see that the Israelites are um, uh, they're in captivity a lot, right? They're being judged a lot. And it's because they, they had this precious truth that God has intended from the beginning to, to reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and they took it inwardly. They, they, said, they hoarded it and said, this is just for me. They've placed themselves at the center of the gospel, and a lot of times we do that, whether it's in our lives or it's in our preaching, or even if it's in the way that we present the gospel to other people, we, we say, if, if you would just accept Jesus Christ, then this would be better, or that would be better, or this would be better. That's how the American culture puts ourselves at the center of the gospel, isn't it? That's what the Jews are doing. They're saying, this gospel centers around me as if God's some, some sort of butler who's, who's, who's at their every beck and call. But God is at the center of the gospel. God's at the center of the gospel. Hey, the gospel that, that the Jews, that Paul's teaching the Jews, it seems to be blasphemy. And it's because it broadens the effects of the gospel. This was the, the same in the case of Jonah going to Nineveh. In the eyes of non-believing Jews, it, it cheapens the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea that, that, that Christ is God has already put them over the edge, but the fact that the gospel and its saving power reaches to the entire world, in their opinion, contradicts the Old Testament. However, if we, if we continue to look at Paul's letter to Jonah, we, or we continue to parallel Paul's letter with Jonah... Uh, we realize that Jonah understands that this doesn't contradict God's truth at all. Listen to Jonah's reasoning with me in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah says, O oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. What a tension here, right? Jonah doesn't have a misunderstanding of what God's plan is, does he? He knows God's plan. He knows that the gospel isn't just for the Jews. And he also knows God's character that we'll continue to unpack. He knows the power of the word of God. And he knows that if he goes and he preaches to these sinners, 
that God is gracious, God is good, and that there's power when his truth and his, his, the word is spoken, and it brings dead men back to life. And so he knows that if he goes to this, this, this place that he, he hates, that he despises, that God would spare them judgment, and he flees. Jonah understands, doesn't he? Because there's a tension here. He, he would rather die than to see God forgive wicked, pagan, Gentile Nineveh. He would rather die than to see that. Could you imagine how it goes over when he, when he finally gets to Nineveh to preach? I don't think he's very enthusiastic, is he? He's probably like, Nineveh, if you don't, repeat, if you don't repent, the Lord's going to destroy you in a few days. That's funny, right? I, I can't imagine he'd be really into preaching that message, would he? He doesn't want to go there. He'd rather die than to see Nineveh repent. And Paul understands that this tension still exists within the church of the New Testament. So he he equips Christian Jews and Gentiles with the tools needed to respond to this by reminding the Christian Jews and Gentiles that the gospel has always, always been for all people groups. Do you see the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament? There's no contradiction with these, with these two testaments. We shouldn't segregate them by thinking that, that, that life was playing out one way, that, that God created the world and then, and then life's starting to play out one way and God's frantically trying to figure out how to respond to, to man's disobedience. And then, and then all of a sudden he, he changes the, the, his, his plans from the beginning by, by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And then we have the New Testament. We shouldn't Picture God as frantically responding to man's disobedience. God's plan has never changed from the beginning. It's never been altered. It's never been adjusted based off of man's actions or disobedience. Job, in in the midst of, of pain and great loss, which was allowed by God, confessed to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that you can do all things, Lord, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, we look to both testaments to develop a complete picture of who God is and what he's doing. God's will is being carried out, and it has been since the beginning of time. And that plan is to bring himself glory by reconciling every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to himself. And when the fullness of those he's elected to be saved come to know him, and the gospel has permeated the entire earth, the God-man Jesus Christ will return to his bride. Amen? Look at the next few verses with me. Verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 10. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sin? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. A second point this morning that it's important for you to grasp is that predestination and election does not nullify evangelism or the command to go and make disciples. Predestination and election does not nullify evangelism or the command to go and make disciples. Again, refer to Jonah. God not only saved Jonah at some point in his life, but he used him as the means by which Nineveh would repent and believe that Yahweh was the one true and living God. Amen? Look at what happened after Jonah preached. Here's the the power of God and his word and his plan, right? Jonah says, Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, and he he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And the people of Nineveh, what does it say that they did? Believed God. They believed God. They called for a fast and and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with a sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And the text goes on and says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil evil way, God what? He relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God called Jonah to preach to Nineveh, And through Jonah's preaching and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God caused Nineveh to repent of their wicked ways. Praise God for the power of the gospel and for our commission to carry it out. Amen? Amen. Again, predestination and election does not nullify evangelism or the command to go and make disciples. Jesus' final command before his ascension to his believers What's commonly known as the Great Commission was to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul charges Timothy in in 2 Timothy 2.15 to do your best to present yourself to God as as one approved, a worker who has no uh, need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Also encourages Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That good deposit is the, the sound gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was charging Timothy. We're to present ourselves as approved workers for the Lord because God's called us to himself and he's also called us to a purpose. See, those who think that the sovereignty of God or that predestination or an election um, somehow trumps the commission of God have grossly misunderstood God's word and are sadly missing the purpose of the Christian life to bring God glory. We can't just say, well... God's ordained salvation and and God's elected people to be saved. Therefore, we can sit around and do nothing. That's not what God's word teaches. So if God's sovereign over all things, though, why do we have to be so careful about handling this good deposit that's been entrusted to us? And why do we have to be so careful about sharing it with others? And the reason why is that God's means by which he spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ is through his local church. God's means by which he spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ, is through his local church. Isn't that an incredible truth? Think about that for a moment. You're God's means. Like, he doesn't just save you, and and that's the end of the story, is it? There's a purpose. There's a a plan. You're, You're God's means. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13 it says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
So no matter your background, no matter your gifts, no matter your talents, God is using you for his purpose to reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation with the gospel. John Calvin, he's a was a French theologian and pastor during the Protestant Reformation, once stated, the ordinary means of salvation is the proclamation of the word. The gospel doesn't fall from the clouds like rain by accident, but it's brought by the hands of men to where God has sent it. When we began this series, Pastor Sean told us about uh, what's known in the theological world as general revelation from Romans 1.20 that teaches us that we can deduce from creation that there's a creator, okay? We can see all the things that God's created, and we can say there's an intelligent designer behind it. There is a higher being behind that, right? But that knowledge alone doesn't save man from the penalty of sin. It isn't sufficient to save man. The only thing sufficient to save man is when one's pointed toward the person and the work of Christ. And the means by which that happens is through the local church. However, there's a God-ordained process to this. And this process includes you and me. Take a look with me in verse 14a. Belief precedes the ability to call on the Lord. Verse 14, the first part of it, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Belief precedes the ability to call on the Lord. Or placed another way, regeneration precedes faith. Think back to our pursuit series where we examine conversations that, that Jesus had with people, okay? And think back to this man called Zacchaeus. And if there's some of you in this room that, that you weren't here whenever we, we looked at this encounter, Zacchaeus was a, he was a tax collector, okay? He was a despised person. People did not like Zacchaeus at all, okay? He was corrupt. And uh, he, he stole from people. And uh, he hears that Jesus is coming to town one day. And so for, for these tax collectors to, to go out in public, uh, it was a dangerous thing. Because like I said, they, they were hated. And so for Zacchaeus to come out, um, he would be risking his life. But he heard that this, this man, Jesus Christ, was coming to visit the town. And so he, he, he goes out to, to see him. And not only that, but he climbs a tree. Now, I was going to tell you that climbing a tree back in Jesus' time was humiliating, but I was told by our music team that if we saw any adults climbing on trees after the service, that we'd also think something's wrong with you. <laughs> adults don't climb trees, apparently. Uh, but Jesus climbs this tree so that he could see this man he's heard so much about, Jesus Christ. What? Why did Zacchaeus do this before he, he encountered Jesus? Why did he do this? He hasn't had a conversation with Jesus. He hasn't met Jesus. He's just heard about him. But he climbs this tree. He risks his life to be seen out in public. Why did Zacchaeus do this? The answer is the Holy Spirit. See, Zacchaeus had heard the testimonies about Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit caused him to believe these incredible truths and it softened this wretched man's heart. And Zacchaeus responds by repenting and believing. The same is true with Nineveh. Before Jonah even arrived to Nineveh, God was doing something there, wasn't he? God gave Nineveh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the capacity to believe the things that Jonah was called to go and preach. 
It's the role of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in this room, you've seen this happen whether you realize it or not. Pastor Sean talks a lot about his Reach 3 card. And if you have a Reach 3 card, or if you don't, it's, it's a card that uh, you can grab at the Connect Center, but it's, it's, you write three people down that are lost, and you pray for them, and you look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. But maybe somebody on your Reach 3 card has recently come to know the Lord. Why is that? They, you haven't, you've shared the gospel with them before. You've been praying for them. You didn't, they don't have any new information that they didn't have yesterday, right? There's not some new truth that you gave them that, that finally the, the light bulb went on. Why is it that they repent and believe now? It's because the Holy Spirit caused them to believe. And you know what else is amazing about that? God graciously allowed you to play a part in that redemption. That's amazing, isn't it? God used you by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead this person to the gospel and, and consequently reconcile this person to God the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Secondly, we see that, that hearing precedes belief. Hearing precedes belief. I'm going to unpack this word hearing. Pastor Sean was reviewing my sermon before this weekend, and he said, you know, this would be a good opportunity for you to use the analogy. Like, there was this time where Jen was saying something to me, and I wasn't really hearing her, but I happened to be in the room, and I don't really know what he's talking about because every time my wife speaks, I listen. <laughs> I do what she says. But apparently, Pastor Sean, sometimes when Jen and him have conversations, he's not fully listening. And so this is a type of hearing that carries the idea of accepting and obeying and trusting here. So, so the text would read, how are they believe in Jesus of whom they've never heard, of who they've never accepted or obeyed or trusted? Okay, it's a shifting from knowing that, that there's a creator to knowing of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, this isn't just a, an intellectual acknowledgement of these truths, but this hearing, like I said, carries that idea of accepting, obeying, trusting. Accepting, obeying, trusting which leads to belief in Christ. These non-Christian Jews, they had to grapple with this, as we all do, right? They have to grapple with their sin. They have to let go of their pride and the idea that they can earn some favor with God and embrace salvation by grace through faith offered in Jesus Christ. They must hear the gospel. And again, that hearing is caused by the Holy Spirit. Third, we pull from the text is that Preaching precedes hearing. Preaching precedes hearing. Look at the last part of verse 14. The text says, And how are they to, to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Can you see the role of the local church dripping off of Paul's questions here? See, we're called to be heralds or, or messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is God's ordained means by which lost people come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite pastors, uh, his name's Douglas Wilson, even he, he talks about the way that we should go about sharing this truth. And, and a lot of times we share Jesus and we, or we approach this, uh, this whole evangelism thing as if we're telling people, make God the Lord of your lives, as if we're campaigning for God to win an election, right? We're, we're, we're holding our signs and we're saying, vote Jesus in, right? And he tells us we, we should approach it this way, is that 
Jesus is Lord regardless if we acknowledge it or not. It's not a, it's not a question. Our, our response to him doesn't dictate whether or not he's king or not. And he paints this beautiful word picture of us, of us going through the streets and we're enjoying the sunlight and we're throwing open these cellar doors and, and we're, we're calling these people who are sitting in their basements with this blanket over their, their heads and we're saying, come out and enjoy the sun with us. Them coming out doesn't make the sun rise or go down. The sun's already up, isn't it? We're saying, come out, enjoy the sun with us. And I love that picture and it, because it's a, that, that, that type of evangelism is, a, is an overflow of our love for Jesus Christ. And we're saying, come out. This is an enjoyable thing. Come out. Enjoy the sun. Take the blanket off of your head. Be with us. Preaching precedes hearing, inviting. The same sovereign God who's ordained salvation before the foundation of the world is the same sovereign God who's ordained the means to spread his gospel. I want you to hear that one more time. The same sovereign God who's ordained salvation before the foundation of the world is the same sovereign God who's ordained the means to spread his gospel. In church, we must embrace our identity in Christ and invite orphans to come become sons and daughters of the Most High King. We're inviting them. The Apostle Paul, two chapters earlier in the book of Romans, he, he reminds us, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Isn't it incredible that God not only seeks and saves the lost, but he gives us a plan, he gives us a purpose, he gives us sonship, and we're to be about our Father's business. Every single believer in this room has that identity and has that calling. A lot of times we get wrapped up with we're looking for God's plan for our life, right? We aimlessly go through life a lot of times thinking that God's going to reveal this, this some new revelation to us that he hasn't already spoken in his word. And, and, and so we're aimlessly and, and we're discouraged and we're depressed because we're like, I just don't know what God's plan is for my life. Your, God's plan for your life can be found in the Great Commission. That is God's plan for your life. If you call yourself a believer, that is God's plan for your life. Whether, whether you're a lawyer or, or, or a doctor or a handyman or a plumber, a teacher, a missionary, whatever, your calling is the same. Go and preach and teach the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's God's plan for your life. Remember when you do this, there's a right and a wrong way to do it, isn't there? We can't just say, it doesn't matter what I say, God's word never returns void, so I'm just going to keep blabbering until something sticks to the wall. Right? We, can't, we don't approach sharing the truth of God's word like that. Pastor Sean spent most of his sermon last week already talking about that, so I don't want to rehash what he's already taught us about, but he brought our attention to Romans uh, 10, the first two verses of Romans chapter 10, when Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, talking about the non-Christian Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
That's why it's so important for us to teach correctly and to believe correctly. Our desire at Coastal Community Church is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ, and it begins with understanding the gospel biblically. That's why we place an importance on the preach word of God in our weekend services. That's why we, we sing truths about God to God. That's why we encourage you to participate in, in small group ministry, children's ministry, win, women's ministry, men's ministry, ushering, greeting, parking, youth, food ministry, all the different ministries that you can be involved in. The purpose is to point you and others toward the person and work of Christ. That's why we exist. My final point this morning is that being sent precedes preaching. Being sent precedes preaching. Look with me at verse 15. It says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that passage is quoted out of Isaiah 52. Again, the reason why I'm telling you this is because I want you to continue to see the continuity between the Old and New Testaments. Paul's using the Old Testament to tell the Jews that the plan's the same, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But being sent, it, it begins with a calling. Two callings, actually. The first calling is for you to repent and believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. That's the first calling. The second calling is the calling of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And this being sent, it doesn't just apply to people in the mission field. Because that's what we tend to do a lot of times is we say, oh, these, this, this is just for the, the missionaries who go out and they really do the work of God. They go out of the country, they suffer for the Lord, they live in poverty, all for the name and fame of Jesus Christ. I would argue that it starts in your home. It starts in your home. The Great Commission starts in your home. Think of what God could do through families who took the Great Commission seriously in their homes. It could do incredible things. Sometimes we're so busy looking at the outside of our homes to evangelize that, that we allow our own homes to fall by the wayside. Some of you parents think that Coastal was the place for the spiritual nourishment for you, for your children, your whole family. And then you, you go throughout the week and try to run on that. The Great Commission starts in your home. Ravi Zacharias, he's an author and apologist. He says um, that the home was instituted before the church was brought into being. I love that. You hear that? The home was instituted before the church was brought into being. He points us to the Garden of Eden there. He says, may I underscore that God intended the home to be the seed from which culture flowers and history unfolds. It's no coincidence that a garden was the first setting for the first home. The Great Commission starts in your home. It starts in your home as singles. It starts in your home as married without children. It starts in your home as a five-person family. Whatever the case may be, it starts in your home. My brother Kobe, uh, he's a pastor down in South Georgia, he bought me this book. It's called The Valley of Vision, and I use it during my quiet time with the Lord, and it's a, a, just a, a bunch of old Puritan prayers, and it kind of helps to settle my mind in on the things of God, and, and I use it to guide my prayers, to guide my thoughts, and I wanted to share a couple with you, and then I, I promise I'm done. And the first one is... Um, this old Puritan, he's, he's thankful for what God has done in his life with the gospel. And he says this to the Lord. He says, Lord, I, uh, I need not 
search to see if I'm elect or loved. For if I turn, thou will come to me. Christ has promised me fellowship if I take him. And the Spirit will pour himself out on me. Abolishing sin and punishment, assuring me of the strength to persevere. And then he goes on later to talk about that second calling, that call to go and make disciples. And he says this, Thou God of my end, thou hast given me a fixed disposition to go forth and spend my life for thee. If it be thy will, let me proceed in, in it. If not, then revoke my intentions. All I want in life is such circumstances as, as may best enable me to serve thee in the world. To this end, I leave all my concerns in thy hand. But let me not be discouraged, for this hinders my spiritual fervency. Enable me to undertake some task for thee, for this refreshes and animates my soul, so that I can endure all hardships and labors and willingly suffer for thy name. I love that, that prayer because this old Puritan is he's consumed with love for his Savior. The peak of his happiness, the peak of his joy, the peak of his contentment is found in a life completely poured out for the glory of God. My challenge to you this morning is do you share the same heartbeat? Are you grateful for the gospel and are you ready for the task that God's called you to? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, God, thank you for not only saving us but for giving us a purpose. God, thank you for... God, using the local church as the means by which you spread your gospel. God, I thank you that you're, you never change. God, that your plan has been the same from the beginning of time. Lord, and that your plan will never be thwarted, God. That your will will come to pass. God, and that you're King, and King, King of kings and Lord of lords, no matter our response. So we look to you with grateful hearts. God, and we thank you for this time we've had together. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As this is our, uh, our offertory time. If you're a guest with us, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. This is just a, another way that the church is obedient to the Great Commission by giving of their, of their resources. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Joel. He's going to do a song for us this morning that he actually wrote that talks about the gospel in it and, uh, and its role in our lives. So...